Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. I want to start today by telling you something exciting that we have going on. This Friday, I'm going to be sending out the very first edition of my new weekly conversation with you. I'm calling it the American News Minute. Because what's annoying to me is when you click on these things and you have to work so hard to find the news and you have like an hour later, in one minute, I'm just going to tell you what you need to know, all right, in one minute about what happened this week. If you want to spend more time on there, you can. If you don't want to, I got you. I know you're busy. And then every Friday, we're going to deliver the top stories and the must-see moments from the week straight to your inbox. Again, that's if you want the longer version. If you want to get your news in a minute, I got you, right? That's what I wanted. It's one of those like necessity is the mother of all invention. I was sick and tired of reading all these stupid newsletters that come into my email. I'm like, you know what? I'm too busy for this crap. (laughs) I have already read the news. I just kind of want to know like the summary of what like what I might have missed or what you think are the biggest stories from people I trust. So that didn't exist. So I created it. If you want to sign up to get this from me on Fridays, go to MeganKelly.com, M-E-G-Y-N-K-E-L-L-Y.com and type in your email. And then I'll send you my first email on Friday. If it gets annoying, you can always unsubscribe, but I won't be annoying. I promise. I get enough crap in the mail that I know how not to be annoying. I'm not going to waste your time. Um, and by the way, I can't say much more about it now, but the newsletter, I know it's not really a newsletter. It's really just an email. It's just the start of some exciting things to come. If we have a relationship over there at MeganKelly.com, uh, that's going to bring us very close to one another. <laughs> not in a creepy stalker-esque way, hopefully. <laughs> Again, go to MeganKelly.com. Type in your email address and keep an eye on your inbox this Friday for the first American News Minute. And then you can comment and tell me whether I have lived up to my promise. Okay, today on the show, the incredible story of what happened to a successful musician's career when he decided to speak out against mandatory COVID masking and vaccines, raising some of the very concerns that the so-called experts are now admitting were, in fact, real problems. But he basically got canceled and his career ruined over this. His name is Joseph Arthur, and he has played alongside names like Peter Gabriel and R.E.M.'s Michael Stripe. His songs have been featured in Hollywood films and sung by bands like Coldplay. However, he refused to toe the line. So he's going to be here to talk about what that cost him and whether it was worth it. But my first guest today is somebody who you know very well, and he's also someone who knows exactly what it's like to take on controversial positions and never back down. Nigel Farage is here. He helped lead Britain's exit from the European Union, dubbed Brexit, as you know. Since leaving politics, at least sort of, (laughs) one of his focuses has been growing the conservative movement, not just in the UK, but also here in the United States, recently telling a group of young people, if America falls, we all fall. Nigel Farage now hosts his own show, hugely successful, called Farage on Britain's Great GB News, which is just an amazing place to spend some time. You would absolutely love it if you watch it on YouTube or elsewhere. He joins me now. Nigel, so nice to meet you. Thanks for coming on. Meg, an absolute pleasure to come on. Um, Normally, we'd be talking hard politics um, and saving Western civilization, which is really my mission uh, post-Brexit, because I see the English-speaking world, whether it's Canada, America, New Zealand, Australia, the UK, I see the same problems. I see Marxism that has infiltrated our universities, and I could go on. But of course, you know, I'm not wearing a black tie for nothing, uh, because uh, we are going through an extraordinary 
historic, uh, moving, but incredibly sad week here in the UK. Yeah, I know. It's been something to watch. All I could think about, Nigel, when I saw the number of days that the country would be in mourning and that the queen's um coffin would be moved from place to place and that people would give be given the chance to say their goodbyes was even in death this is the hardest woman working the hardest working woman in england i mean even in death the queen gives extra of herself (laughs) so people can have the chance to pay their respects well think about it this time last week tuesday of last week boris johnson went in to see her to tender his resignation as prime minister. And then Liz Truss went into the room and the Queen invited Liz Truss to become our next prime minister. There was a photograph taken of her shaking Liz Truss's hand. She had a big smile on her face, but she looked weaker than we've seen her at any point before. Three months ago at the, at the Golden Ju- uh, sorry, Platinum Jubilee, uh, she, she came onto the balcony at Buckingham Palace. We knew she was old. But it's a really funny thing. Despite her age, I was convinced she was immortal. I, I, I honestly didn't think this day was going to come. I just imagined she'd go on forever and ever. So there she was a week ago doing her duty. And then two days later, last Thursday, at about a quarter past 12, there was a statement that the Queen was under medical supervision. And as soon as I heard that, I literally felt sick to the bottom of my stomach because I knew what it meant. And I can't tell you the outpouring of emotion, people saying to me, I never thought I'd feel like this. But of course, not only has she been there for the whole of our lives, you've got to be over 75 to remember a time when Elizabeth wasn't our queen. But there's something else about her that is very, very special in my opinion. What she represented in terms of values, honesty, decency, morality, Christianity, devotion, self-sacrifice, and service. And I do think that as what we call the greatest generation, that World War II generation of men and women, as they disappear in number from this earth, I worry that we're losing something very, very special in terms of what people stand for. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. On many fronts, you know, as I was saying to Dan Wooten last, last week, one of the fronts is for, for womankind. You know, she... We don't have a queen in America. Obviously, we don't we don't want one or we would not be America, but we don't have a female leader like the queen universally respected. We've never had a female president. She's more powerful than any female role model or leader that we've ever had in America. And she did it almost perfectly. I mean, you could make the case she did it perfectly. I mean, 70 years, not a single hint of scandal ever. Now, her children may be somewhat different, but let's talk about the Queen. Um, No scandal, never put a foot wrong, uh, played the role of a constitutional monarch, did it in an exemplary style. And through this, she became the most famous person in the world. Mm -hmm. And I would argue the most respected and perhaps even loved person in the world. Didn't matter where you went, anywhere, any continent, the Queen. If you said the Queen, everyone knew exactly who you were talking about. So for our country, uh, the loss is it's, it's huge. King Charles, well, you know, God save the king. We wish him well, but she's a very, very difficult act to follow. And you say, well, of course, America would never want a constitutional monarchy. I understand that. There was a slight disagreement with a fellow called George III. <laughs> um, and America 
which of course was the first Brexit, if you think about it. You know, America yeah, right. leaves leaves the British Empire, goes on to become the most successful country in the world. And yet, I find most Americans I meet and talk to are fascinated by the British royal family. Yes, absolutely. Well, we have a link to it, of course, in our history, somehow in our in our constitutional DNA, there is an imprint there and people have strong feelings about it. Now, we were not Queen Elizabeth's subjects, but so many millions of Americans were her admirers for for some of the reasons that you just listed. And I was thinking about it, we're talking about it with my team because I do think she represented a dignity and a power amongst women, a quiet dignity and class that is leaving us bit by bit as we yes. turn to narcissism and selfie culture and absurd representations of women wherever we turn. One of the things I mentioned last week was, was I won't get into the details of the song, but this song by Cardi B and Megan the Stallion, call, Stallion called WAP. You can Google it. It's very dirty. It's filthy. And mm. to take it to the next level, Hillary Clinton, okay, the only female presidential candidate uh, Democratic nominee that we've ever had decides to comment on this because she's trying to launch a new digital series with her daughter. And instead of saying, you know, there are certain things that I think cross over when it comes to class, when it comes to representation and role modeling for young girls, she decides to pretend that she's an embracer of it, which I don't believe. I think she's just pandering. But here's a little bit of what she said as she gushed over this song, Satu. Chelsea follows rap music. She has ever since she was a little girl. But I kind of came to awareness of you with the Cardi B WAP. I've always wanted to do a song with Cardi. As soon as she sent me the song, I think I sent it back to her like the next day. And it was just so exciting. The men, they seem so confident in what they're saying and they don't have no problem with talking about their sexuality and how they're gonna have sex with you. So I was like, well, <laughs> I could do that and it's gonna sound fire coming from a woman. It's great to see women be so kind of fierce. That is my life's mission, <laughs> to make sure that I'm always unapologetically me. Oh my God, the absurdity of Chelsea Clinton, who's literally accomplished nothing, piping in with, it's great to see women be so fierce, as though this is some profundity that we're supposed to move on thinking about, Nigel. Well, it's absolutely ludicrous. And it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we are a very old country, um, and yet we've been very lucky. We had Queen Elizabeth I, who saw off the Spanish Armada and kept our independence. We had Queen Victoria, who reigned for 60 years and oversaw the expansion of the British Empire, which I know it's not fashionable to talk about these days, but hey, she made us into the world's leading superpower and now 70 years of Elizabeth II. I think we've produced some wonderful role models. And I think maybe, maybe the Clintons could learn a lesson. You see, rather than the Queen ever pretending to be anything other than she was. What she was able to do was to have fun. Think of the Paddington Bear sketch mm. just three months ago where the Queen, you know, gets the sandwich out of her handbag. Think of the James Bond sketch that she did at the London Olympics That's in 2012. Right. Did without even telling her family. That's a much better model for female leaders around the world than pretending somehow you're getting down and cool with the kids when it's clearly just not true. Yeah, that's right. Hillary Clinton went on uh, a day or two ago to say, to compare Nancy Pelosi to the Queen to say, oh, you know, she, she oh. reminds her of Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> like, oh my, how out of touch I mean, can you it's be? Absolutely ridiculous. You know, this woman, this woman, her life 
was devoted to others. It was one of incredible, massive self-sacrifice. She spread kindness and joy wherever she went. She traveled the world in a way that no global leader has ever done in history. You know, little villages of mud huts in the outback in Africa, wherever she went, and she spread joy wherever she went. And, and, and I have to say, you know, when it comes to you know, human kindness and goodness, she exemplified all of those things, those amazing values. And it's why I talked about the greatest generation. You know, these people went to war for liberty and freedom, not just of ourselves, but of countries in Europe and elsewhere around the world. And, and these days, mm -hmm. it seems that we're living in a society where we're all in it for ourselves and to hell with everybody else. That's right. That's right. And everything gets reduced to, you know, the things over which we have no control, like gender or skin color or what have you. There, mm. Some of the attacks on the queen have been just awful. Well, and people well, are free well, to say I, what they I mean, want to say, but that doesn't mean we can't push back and say you're absurd. Megan, I have to say, I mean, I, I don't know what's going on with the editorial board of the New York Times in particular, but there are other American media outlets, you know, choosing. I mean, literally almost before the body was cold, you know, publishing these hard left Marxist academic articles, you know, condemning the Queen, basically saying that she was part of the colonial process and thereby, mm -hmm. therefore she's guilty for racism and slavery. I can't think, I can't think of any human being in the world, you know, who's done more for black populations, frankly, than Queen Elizabeth II. And uh, amazing to think, isn't it? You know, she wore uniform. She wore an army uniform in World War II. She stood on the balcony at Buckingham Palace on Victory in Europe Day with Winston Churchill in 1945. The Queen mm. always fought. She always fought against tyranny. She always fought for fairness. And as far as this country is concerned, and this country has changed since World War II, immigration has changed the makeup of this country, but she was always welcoming to all of those communities. And I, I just think it's, I, as I say, I don't know what the New York Times are trying to do. Clearly, I think, trying to break the link between Brexit, Britain and America, because they're globalist in their intent. Mm hmm. Yes. And the that you gave me the chill talking about the Queen up there with we have a picture on the board with Winston Churchill. Um, Meanwhile, you've got people like this Carnegie Mellon professor, Uju Anya, who continues to attack the queen. She made news saying she hoped her death was painful yeah, and worse. Disgusting. And now she comes out and says, doubles down, speaking of the New York Times, this is uh, New York Magazine's The Cut, sort of a similar publication, mm -hmm. writing that Queen Elizabeth was representative of the cult of white womanhood. Honestly, as though there's something inherently evil about being a white woman and just to diminish somebody of Queen Elizabeth's stature as representative of the cult of white womanhood is incredibly disrespectful. She gets away with it when there was some pushback by the university who said she doesn't speak from us for us students at the university writing a letter in support of her criticizing the university's response. Hundreds of current and former students. And of course, you're going to be used to this kind of language, Nigel, saying, we reject calls for civility that are frequently leveraged against the marginalized to silence dissent. We express our solidarity with Dr. Anya and reject the tone policing of those with legitimate grievances. Well, well I mean, do you know what? In some ways we can't blame, we can't blame these young people in some ways. They have been indoctrinated 
through our public education systems from a very early age. And if you think about it, actually, the Marxists have managed to march through the institutions in a very, very successful manner. What perhaps we should be doing, Megan, is blaming conservatives for allowing it to happen and for not standing up more stridently for the values that we believe in. And I do see this right across the Western world, you know, so-called conservatives in government that allow all this sort of thing to happen without ever lifting a finger to stop right. it. So weak need. It makes you really want to be not associated with any party. That's how I am over here in America, because I look at these people saying, I'm not putting your jersey on my chest privately. Certainly as a journalist, I had never have. Um, but privately, I don't want the association. And the Republicans over here are only figuring out in small groups how to fight somebody like Ron DeSantis, how to fight, how not to bend the knee to these folks who, whose approval They've sought so desperately for decades now, and they've just lost. Yeah, absolutely. There are examples like Ron DeSantis. But I mean, you know, the reason I broke away from the British Conservative Party almost exactly 30 years ago uh, was because they'd given up on being conservative. They'd given up on the concept of a nation state. They'd given up on us being independent. Um, I have to say, what a marvellous moment that was yesterday. King Charles III walks in to the 900-year-old Westminster Hall to the assembled sitting of the House of Commons and the House of Lords, the king in Parliament. Literally, mm. that was sovereignty. It represented everything I fought for. And the Conservatives fought me. The British Conservatives fought me for half a century until they realised it was inevitable, and then they went with it. And you see this in Australia. You see it amongst the rhinos. You see it all over the world. Conservatives that frankly just aren't conservative, they're, 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 they're far more like metropolitan liberals. And yet, outside the beltways, in the middle of our countries, there is still a clear, settled majority for common sense. Mm -hmm. You know, ordinary folk don't talk about pregnant people, they talk right. about pregnant women. I mean, that's just the way that it is. And yet conservatives have been so scared of criticism by mainstream media, so scared of the hate mobs on Twitter and elsewhere, but they backed away and allowed so much of this to go wrong. So we need robust, robust, committed conservatives across the Western world, people who believe that our civilization is founded on Judeo-Christian principles, people who believe in free speech, freedom of association, and people who understand that if you say something that causes offense, Provided it's not insightful, then that actually is how free speech works. And it's what, it's what generations that went before us actually fought for. And uh, I think our queen understood those things perfectly. So before we move on from the royal family, because I do want to yeah. talk to you about how to fight, you could write a treatise on it. Um, a quick question about the Harry and Meghan, because they Tom Bauer, who's, you know, barn burner of a book about the royal family mm. and was number one everywhere. He was on with our mutual friend Dan Wooten talking about Harry's um, autobiography, which is slated for release, I guess, now this November. And according to Dan and others, the, the royal family does not want to see the publication of this book. They fear and believe that it's going to be very negative about the royal family. And now, given the fact that the queen just died, the timing is far from ideal. So Bowers goes on with Dan during GB News's royal coverage. And here's what happened. 
in the end, it's down to whether Harry and Meghan are prepared to apologise to Kate and William. My suspicion is, I'm convinced, they won't apologise. Uh, even worse, I, I'm told tonight that Harry's insisting that his book is published in November. You're kidding. Absolutely. It's absolutely astonishing. He's insisting. Apparently the publishers are not too certain, but he says that if they don't publish, you will breach a contract. That's what I'm told. And it's extraordinary because I think that's pretty, on the other hand, it fits the bill because uh, Harry and Meghan's finances depend entirely on the book and on Netflix. And also, I think they're convinced they're in the right and they want to get their own back. And I think that part of the problem of getting them to come out on that walk uh, yesterday was very much because they can't decide whether they should appear or not. After all, they didn't plan to be here for a funeral. They thought they were coming for just a visit to promote themselves. They've been caught up in it. What do you make of that, Nigel? If he comes well, out Tom Bauer, Tom Bauer is the biographer of our times, written the most incredible books um, about members of the royal family, about big business figures, political figures, Boris Johnson, Richard Branson, you name it. I'm very pleased that it wasn't him, but somebody else that wrote a big biography about me. Uh, because Tom, <laughs> Bauer, <laughs> Tom Bauer is really good at putting his finger on those personality flaws. And by the way, we all have them, of course. We all have them. So would Harry go ahead with this book? Well, think about this. When the Oprah Winfrey interview happened, right, Harry and Meghan knew that his grandfather was at death's door. They knew that Philip was not going to make his 100th birthday, and that was only 10 weeks away, and they still went ahead with the interview. Um, this trip to the UK, they came here this time. You know, Meghan gave a speech up in Manchester. They went to Dusseldorf for an event. Do you know, they weren't even going to go and visit the Queen on this trip. And I thought Charles's words in the King's speech were very interesting. He talked about Kate or Catherine, as we're now branding her, uh, and William as the new Prince and Princess of Wales. But when he referred to Harry and Meghan, he didn't call them the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. No, 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 no. He talked about my love for Harry, Meghan, and their family, who are now building their new life overseas. This is what King Charles III said. And I read into that. You're living on the West Coast of America. We want nothing to do with you. Please stay there. Mm, interesting. Well, I did think it was interesting that... Um that Megan comes over, she goes out there to sort of shake the hands of people. And let's be honest about it. Megan and Harry made the Queen's last two years oh. much more difficult than it, they needed to be. I mean, it, it's yeah. there's something galling about seeing them glad handing with the mourners when yes. name me somebody else who caused more agita to the poor Queen in her last two years of life than those two. Right. I mean, it's just. It, yeah. Yeah. It was so disrespectful. It was so wrong in every way. But I'll tell you what's interesting. The Queen's body is going to arrive. Queen's coffin will arrive at Buckingham Palace in about two and a half hours time. OK. And there, there will be a military detachment, of course. There will be the King and the Queen Consort. There will be the Prince and Princess of Wales. But the Duke and Duchess of Sussex will not be there. And what this tells you, through the words that King Charles used, through the very fact they will not be there to meet 
the Queen's body as it arrives in Buckingham Palace. And goodness me, what a somber, what a somber emotional moment that's going to be in two and a half hours. But the fact they're not there tells you everything. The firm, as the royal family have known, have effectively excommunicated them because they know Harry will go ahead with this book, do it to make money and do his best, not just to damage the monarchy and his own father and brother, but he'll do it because he wants to damn the United Kingdom, the British around the world. I've never seen uh, such such, uh, disloyalty in all of my life. Quite what, quite what Meghan's done to him, how it's come to this, I simply don't know. Mm. She was glad handing with the mourners the other day, and it made mm. news that a few of them refused to shake her hand. You can yeah. see it in the video. A couple of yeah. women just looked down or didn't extend the hand. And now you've got Megan's followers on Twitter. Um, and we're showing the video for the people who watch us on YouTube. The woman putting mm. on her sunglasses avoids Megan. Then there's a woman in a dark blue shirt with gray hair who clearly does not want to shake her hand. And now you've got all these people on Twitter accusing these women, wait for it, of racism. That they're racists because they... Do you know what? I, aren't we getting slightly bored with all this? Yes. I mean, you know, this, I mean, the use of this word, I mean, we should stop getting, we, do you know what? We should stop even worrying about it. It's become utterly meaningless. It's a substitute for any form of engagement or intelligent debate. And uh, I, I think we've got to just stop worrying about all these attacks. They mean nothing. Mm-hmm. What do you make of um, the Oprah thing? Because I will say Oprah weighed in on Meghan and Harry today. I mean, she was sort of she was in on ground zero of the racism accusation Meghan and Harry launched against the royal family. And now Oprah's calling for a sort of a healing moment. We have the soundbite um, in an interview she gave to Extra. It's soundbite one. We lost another trailblazer this week, the Queen. Of course, oh, you sat yes. down with Meghan and Harry. We're seeing the four of them together now <coughs> in London. Is there a hope out there that in some way her passing would be a way to unify the family, maybe heal some wounds. Well, this is what I think. I think in all families, you know, my father passed recently uh, this summer. Mm -hmm. And when all families come together uh, for a common uh, ceremony, the ritual of, you know, burying your dead, there's an opportunity for peacemaking. And hopefully there will be that. Uh Yeah. Well, 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 that I mean, that is true, of course. Yes, I mean, there's, there's right. barely a family on the planet where someone's not speaking to someone. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way families. <laughs> well, it's true, it's isn't true. it? You know, and, very true. And, and then, and then we all come together. You know, it's the uncle's funeral or whatever it is, and we all come together, um, and it is an opportunity for rapprochement to be made. Um, and there was a minor rapprochement when William reached out and they and they went out, as you say, in Windsor and looked at the flowers and meted and met some of the mourners there. But it has no long-term future if he's going to go ahead with this book. So, uh, Oprah, uh, sorry, I'm not with you at all. And can I just say also, she must be the worst interviewer on the planet. You know, the That's idea the that Oprah Winfrey is this big genius. Well, so what happened with that interview was, of course, the first half of it was with Meghan. Halfway through, Harry gets dragged in, directly contradicts some of the things that Megan has said in the first half, and Winfrey didn't even pick up on it. So uh, I'm not particularly impressed with her ability to do interviews and to find out the truth.
Well, that's the thing. I mean, she helped light the bonfire that that yes. was the last two years for the royal family and the queen. So I don't know that she's the right person to be commenting on healing for that family. Uh, a proper interviewer would have said in the moment, you can't make an allegation like that without naming names. You've essentially impugned everyone from the queen and Prince Philip mm. on down. Prince Philip is on his deathbed. Would you care to at least exclude him and Her Majesty the Queen? At least that would have been a good follow up. It didn't happen the same way as the Cut magazine, New York magazine's yeah. offshoot. The Cut refused to say to Meghan, the British press is calling your children the N word. Who? When? Show me the publication. It, it, that would yeah, have been yeah, international yeah, yeah. news. Yeah, it's not true. None of it's true. It's all this. Look at me. I'm a victim. Aren't the royal family beastly? It's all wrong. It's false. Um, but it's funny, you know, at the time, people that stood up and called it false, you know, in many cases, uh, not only got abused on social media, but you could even lose your job over it. Isn't it funny? Yeah. Isn't it, right. isn't it mad? Well, and that really, that really, I think, very neatly brings us on to the mess that we're in across the Western world, that we've allowed these narratives to permeate to a level. We've allowed bullying. We've allowed bullying to get to a level where people are cancelled, people lose their jobs, people are excluded from polite society for simply having convictions or beliefs. This it's is so where we've true. got to, and it's very, very scary. And I, I just repeat the point I made a few minutes ago. I blame conservatives more than I blame the hard left. I blame these faux conservatives. They pretend to stand up for Judeo-Christian principles. They pretend to stand up for the family. They pretend to stand up for free speech. And yet, because there are so many of them are simply career politicians, all they care about is getting re-elected next time round, not taking too much flack, having an easy life, getting a very, very nice job as a non-executive director on a board somewhere after mm -hmm. their term in Congress or Parliament or wherever it may be, that we've allowed all of this stuff to overwhelm us without anybody really standing up and fighting. Yeah. Now, it's not easy. You know, I mean, I know about this stuff because I've taken some very strong principled stands and you get called all the names under the sun oh. and you get more and you get more death threats than you had the week before. Um, and You get abused in the streets of London by a certain, uh, you know, certain group of, 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 of person. But it's how you win. You don't win by running away. You win by standing and fighting and having conviction and knowing that actually what you're doing is counteracting a madness that is threatening to completely overtake our society. Too few conservatives have done that. And that makes me, that does make me very, very angry. So let's, we're gonna talk tactics. Like what does that mean? What does it look like to fight? Uh, I'm gonna squeeze in a break before we do that, but I'll just point out one thing to your point. Piers Morgan, lost his job at Good Morning Britain because he was on the air the day after that Oprah interview. I was there with him. I was I was their lead guest at 7 a.m. And he said he did not believe her claims. He didn't believe her racism allegation. He didn't believe that she was suicidal and the king and the palace overlooked it. Um, and he did not believe her claim that her child was never going to be a prince because of the color of his skin. Her child is a prince now. And yes. the, the weatherman the weatherman is the one who drove Piers up the wall that day because he kept looking at Piers. Again, I was there and via satellite and saying, but that's her truth. 
that's her truth. And Pierce had had it. That's what forced him to walk off because he then attacked Pierce personally and said, you, you've got a personal beef with her rather than accepting his professional criticisms. And ultimately, Pierce was forced to either apologize or leave his position. And he chose yeah. the latter. He's doing fine. But to your point, this sort of these narratives have they've been allowed mm. to get away with them, whether it's well, Meghan yes. and Harry or the or yes. the established left. Absolutely. On the previous narrative that took hold, Piers was on completely the wrong side, which was Black Lives Matter. You know, and unless COVID. you, yeah, oh, he, I mean, he, you know, if Piers was in charge, we'd all still be locked down. I think. Um, I but but I mean, BLM was astonishing. You know, within twenty four hours of the death of George Floyd, there were police officers taking the knee in London. Again, you see lack of leadership. Here was an organisation committed to destroying the police force. It begins with defunding. It then means total replacement. And yet, you know, that narrative took hold. Um, and I was cancelled. I was cancelled over BLM. I was cancelled from a very successful radio show. Do you know what I did? I read out the Black Lives Matter website on air. Mm-hmm. Right. Cancelled for, for yourself. You know, I, wasn't, I wasn't even giving an opinion. I was just telling you telling the people what the organization stood for. So, But you've yeah. always been fearless. Now, that's the thing that's so interesting mm. about you. I, I look back at your history well before the cancellation brigade was out there and coming for you. Mm. It seems like you've always been fearless. Now I read in your bio, because I'm getting to know you better, um, there actually is a, re a, a point in your life where that switch was turned on. None of us wants to go through this same experience, but that's a good as, as good a place as any for me to squeeze in my commercial break, come back with Nigel on that moment and how to fight in two minutes. Don't miss us. Really enjoying this exchange. So Nigel, there was a moment in 2010 that was a before and after moment for you uh, as a human and as an advocate. Tell us about it. Well, I'd already um, in the 1980s been through cancer as a young man and a massive road traffic accident, but I was lucky to survive. But in 2010, the really big one came, which was being in a light aircraft that had lost power and control and crashed. Um, and it was all pretty dramatic stuff. I was trapped in the wreckage. There were two of us on the plane. I was trapped in the wreckage, covered in fuel oil, thinking, mm. well, I've survived the impact. Um, but we're probably going to, you know, I, I can see the picture now. I, I'd rather not see it, to be honest with you. Sorry, um, yeah, we have it up for the YouTube yeah, audience. I, I know. I, I, it's not something I look at. It, unbelievable uh, that I survived. I mean, I was badly broken. I mean, I, you know, everything was ribs and split sternum and punctured lungs and all sorts of things like that. Um, but, hey, you know what? I'm here. I'm alive. I'm healthy. The pilot's not here. And this is the way life can be. So oh. I, ever since 2010, have taken the view that I really shouldn't be here. And because of that, you've got to treat, you really have to treat life as a bonus. You value what life is quite a lot more, I think, than I did before. And you know something, when you've been in a plane that's coming down to earth and you think this is your last few seconds, why on earth would I worry about some loser? criticizing me on Twitter. Right. I mean, I think probably it did make me even more fearless in standing up in the European Parliament, standing up in front of, you know, sort of baying mobs on BBC programmes in this country. I think it, I, mean, I wouldn't recommend an experience like this for <laughs> no. anyone watching. Um, this, is, this is not exactly recommended training, uh, but it did help me um, to be able to be, I suppose, 
the word is brave or more brave or stupid. I mean, you you know, pay your money, take <laughs> fine it. line. Yeah, we are, but it probably is really. But I tell you what's interesting. You know, if one person is prepared to stand up and like Kirk Douglas and say, "I'm Spartacus," you know, when people when people see others taking a lead, saying and emoting on issues that they feel the same about, that then gives them the room to feel comfortable and stand up. And it's, you know, in this week when we're mourning the loss of the Queen, you know, we're, we're, we're remembering her faultless leadership. That's why tens of millions of people in this country have been in tears for the last week. Human beings need leaders. Human beings need someone to shine a light. And when those figures come along, they follow. So what is needed, what is needed within conservative movements are people of courage, people of people who've got some integrity, but above all, people who've got courage. And you mentioned Ron DeSantis earlier on. Well, thank goodness the conservative movement in America is beginning to find some stars like him. And whatever you think of Donald Trump, you know, and some people think he's a bit rough around the edges. Others think he's a total hero. I like him very much personally. Um, but again, Trump does actually have courage. You know, he stands up and confronts these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not seeing much of that in the current British Conservative Party. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you've written that Liz Truss has her work cut out for her because your Ooh. country's going through a lot of the same things that mine is. You know, you have a massive crime issue. You have massive problems with immigration. Your inflation numbers are out of control. Europe, in a way that even puts America to shame, is dealing with a massive energy crisis right now yes. where I'm told that you could be looking at, I don't is it 22 percent? Is that what I read? It was something that you had written, some 22 yes. percent. yes. Inflation yes, next year if the energy prices continue to climb and energy bills through the roof. Yeah, 22% inflation is a real possibility. Um, In fact, Liz Truss was giving her first major speech as prime minister when a piece of paper was delivered into the House of Commons explaining the Queen's health predicament. So we didn't really get all of that debate. Now, if Truss does what she does, it may help in the short term to bring those inflation rates down. But, But please, anybody watching or listening to this in America Learn a lesson. Europe and the United Kingdom have willfully and deliberately decided they do not want to be energy self-sufficient. No, no, no. We're going green. We're going to be the good guys. We're going to save the world. Never mind that China is building 80 gigantic new coal-fired power stations every year. Never mind that the UK produces less than 1% of global CO2. No, we are going to make sure that our consumer bills are loaded with big subsidy, which we can give to multinational corporations. They can then pay it on to Chinese companies manufacturing wind turbines, and we can call ourselves the saviour of the world. And, oh dear, something's gone wrong. And the lights may now go out in February. It is complete and utter madness. You know, if renewable technology works, fine. But it shouldn't have government subsidy. It should operate and work in the free market. And if you rely on intermittent energy too much, you leave yourselves in a very, very vulnerable position. And this was Boris Johnson. I mean, Blair started all this 20 years ago. But Boris Johnson's biggest single Policy failure is through his net zero target, 
He encouraged manufacturing jobs to leave the country and for us to import lots of our energy. And that says, look, we've cut our CO2 output. It is completely insane. And Trump did put America in the right place on energy. Biden, well, he doesn't seem to be so keen, but to be self-sufficient in an uncertain world. And that's what Europe hasn't done. And Putin, Putin now has, Putin now has the West in the palm of his hand. And if he decides to turn very, very nasty, then we could be in real trouble. The uh, restrictions now that they're imposing in various European countries are are really eye opening. Not only are they turning off the lights overnight uh, in places like uh, the Brandenburg Gate, for example, in Berlin is no longer going to be illuminated uh, in Hanover uh, in Germany last month. Hot water was cut off at public buildings. Uh, this, the city of Augsburg decided to turn off its traffic lights to conserve Spain. <clears throat> in Spain, they've limited air conditioning to no cooler than 81 degrees Fahrenheit, 27 degrees Celsius. I mean, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. And even yeah. France, which is mostly nuclear. Uh, is now going to find people for keeping doors open with shopkeepers with the air conditioning running, which happens everywhere and so on. So this is our future, too, unless we get energy yes. costs under control here and Absolutely. decide to open back up the spigot of oil and natural gas. Yeah, I mean, look, everything in the UK and to some extent in Europe, too, hinges on Putin, but it hinges even more on the weather. Can you believe it? If we get a long, cold, hard winter, there are parts of Europe and the UK in which the lights will literally go off. And think about it. I mean, you know, we need energy now more than we ever did. Computerization, the very device I'm talking to you on right now, cell phones, all of it. Uh, and if the lights go out this winter, I cannot, e and it's a cold winter, I cannot even begin to imagine what the death toll is going to be. Yeah. So go green, go cold. Go green, people die in large numbers. Go green, and the Chinese laugh at you and build three new coal-fired power stations, at least three, every single month. It is mm -hmm. utter madness, but that's the lemming-like mentality of career politics. They all get together at the G7, the G20, whatever it is, and, and, and they're full of self-congratulation for their own stupidity. Mm -hmm. So what people listening to this conversation who feel as you do, who want who, who don't believe the green energy narrative being spoon fed to us and the people who want to fight back against the constant racism accusations and the people mm. who want to fight back against these massive government overhauls of society and control over and so on. What is the Niger, Nigel Farage footprint blueprint for well, fighting for fighting? So in America. America's in a much better position than we are because so many posts in America are up for election. Take school boards. You know, normally on school boards, you will get activist political parents that get on school boards. They, in many cases, got nothing better to do with their lives. Um, but the ordinary parents who are busy with their jobs and everything else in the past haven't. There's evidence in parts of America. I saw some in Texas myself where just good, ordinary, decent people say, right, we will not have our kids taught that America is a disgusting, shameful country with a horrible past. We're actually quite proud of what our forebears did when they came here and built this amazing country. So you can stand for school boards. You also in America have an open primary system, which gives you the opportunity to vote for your candidates that are going up for public office. So I do think in the States, there's a lot you can do to make sure you get the right people and people of courage. Uh, in other countries, it's a little bit harder. 
Um, here, it's a little bit harder because we don't have an open primary system, which is why, you know, I can't run to be leader of the Conservative Party. For example, we don't have that kind mm. of system. But we still could exert our influence. We still can tell elected politicians that unless they change course, we will not vote for them next time round. And so it's interesting that, and, and, and Brexit is an example of this. You know, the rise of the UK Independence Party from nothing to winning a national election, which it did in 2014 in the European elections, that was a grassroots revolution. Yes, it had leadership, but it was a grass, you know, my job was to be there at the top. My job was to give people hope. My job was to make people think, if you're prepared to do something, we can change the way we live in this country. People believed it, they acted, and we did. Ultimately, leaders can only do so much. Ultimately, every one of you out there collectively can change things and can change our destiny. And that really, I think, is the big message of hope. You know, things look really bad and, we, and, and, and we're vexed over some of the great stupidities, some of the absurdities, some of the unpleasantness that we're seeing because of this woke cancel culture mob. And it worries us and it scares us. But you know something? We can beat it. We just have to get enough people to stand up and say, enough. You predicted Brexit would happen and led the movement that ultimately resulted in it happening. You predicted Donald Trump would win the 2016 presidential election when very few people actually believed that. So do you predict now that whether it's the right, the conservatives or just I call them the people of reason mm. will find their spines to stand up against this nonsense in your country and mine, and that 10 years from now, we'll be in a, in a much better place when it comes to all of this? Well, the history of humankind, the history of humankind is that big ideas, whether they were economic ideas, scientific ideas, social ideas, big ideas that can control vast majorities at one moment in time can be looked back upon 20 years later. And people say, God, they must have been really stupid in the olden days to believe in stuff like that. So what I mean is that pendulums swing back and forth through history um, in a much bigger way than we ever think living through the particular moment that concerns us. And I think there's some evidence already that it's happening. I think transgender uh, sport is an example. You know, Leah Thomas mm -hmm. turns up uh, at sort of six foot three with, you know, hands about three times the size of mine um, and starts winning, starts winning swimming races. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, through the Olympic Federation and elsewhere, we're beginning to see the application of common sense coming into women's sport. It's only a very, very small beginning. Uh, it will take a long time. And the reason it will take so long is because the real battle, the biggest battle of all, is going to be reform of the educational establishments. That is where the real poison, that is where the real problem is. But yes, we can turn this around, fight back, and yes, we can win. Brick by brick, Nigel Farage, what a pleasure. Please come back. Thank you. Thank you. We are gonna be right back with a musician fighting back after being smeared over COVID. He decided to fight. And those in his crosshairs include the LA Times. We'll get into what happened to him. And don't forget, folks, you can find The Megan Kelly Show live on Sirius XM Triumph Channel 111 every weekday at noon east and the full video show and clips by subscribing to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Megan Kelly. If you prefer an audio podcast, 
follow and download on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts for free. Our next guest is a well-known singer, songwriter, and musician who has an incredible story. He was discovered in the 1990s by, oh, Peter Gabriel, and spent the next 25 years as a musician releasing more than a dozen albums. When the COVID pandemic hit, he began to speak freely about some of his doubts when it came to lockdowns, masking, and eventually the vaccine. And then came the pushback including the L.A. Times writing an article on his views and explicitly calling him an anti-vaxxer. He has brought a defamation case against the publication now over their portrayal of him, claiming he was shunned and avoided in the music community as a result and that they intentionally misled the readers and continue to read misleaders on things like who he really is. Despite the backlash and the struggles, Joseph Arthur continues to speak out because, as he says, speak your mind or lose your mind. Oh, that is so true. Joseph, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Megan. I really appreciate it. I love the t-shirt and I Thanks. completely yeah, this is agree. A, a new, the new fashion line uh, that we're just p- promoting, speak your mind. ShopJosephArthur.com, little plug there right at the top. <laughs> and, and weirdly, that's controversial. I mean, maybe less so today than in 2020 yeah. and 2021 than, you know, when you were talking about COVID and BLM was right. in the news and all of that. But still, it is controversial, especially for young people. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird, uh, you know, to grow up in America with the um, adage of, I don't have to agree with what you say, but I'll defend to my death your right to say it. I mean, that's kind of what I always thought was key in American values and just sort of the soul of America, really. So I I, I first got alarmed when they canceled Alex Jones. I didn't really know much about Alex Jones. I wasn't like on that side of the political spectrum. I always considered myself uh, on the left. Um, but I was like, that's weird. Why is nobody really speaking about this? And, and it starts with an extreme character like that. You know, they start Mm -hmm. with somebody, they're not going to get pushback. And then it goes all the way to trying to cancel someone like Joe Rogan, who is obviously very middle of the road by, you know, by evidence, by the fact that he's the most popular voice in media. You couldn't be that if you weren't uh, middle of the road. So that's how this thing goes. And it's it's just interesting that it continues. And even now, um, with the CDC backpedaling on their COVID guidelines and saying they made mistakes, Fauci saying he's planning on stepping down, them blaming it on Trump for pushing it to the FDA too hard. Uh, so they're obviously backpedaling, but then they're still this kind of lockdown on what you can and cannot say in the media or on, you know big tech platforms like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And yet, so it, we're in this period of real cognitive dissonance, I feel like, you know, where mm-hmm. it's like, what is it? Are, are, is, this, is this a bust? Because it seems like a total bust and everybody knows that now, but yet we're still trying to pretend like it's viable and valid. I don't know. It's weird. What do you think? Well, I think it's, fascinating and distressing that it's crossed over from hot button issues like race, which you still should be able to say whatever the hell you want to say about organizations like Black Lives Matter, which we now know is basically run by a bunch of fraudsters. Um, We should be able to say that 
and it shouldn't be a cancelable yeah. offense. And you'd be able to push back on, you know, the, the growing change when it comes to identity politics and how, Absolutely. you know, why, why is it okay to discriminate against Asians suddenly in the college setting? You know, we had Vivek Ramaswamy on, on yesterday talking about his new book. So fine. So you can, so now Asians are at the bottom of the, the identity totem pole. You can crap all over them just as long as you're elevating somebody who happens to have a different color skin. That's absurd. It's illegal, yeah. right? You should be able to say that and not lose your job or be shunned or ostracized. So I believe you should be able to talk like that. But I understand that those are very hot button issues. But when it crosses yeah. over into science, into our freedoms, into what we have to put into our bodies to exist in polite society, to say you cannot express your opinion is next level insanity. And that's what you got swept up into. Well, you know what? Science became religion when science turned into the science. Once they put the the in front of it, that's when it boxed itself in. That's when it was yeah. like no longer science. It became the science. And language is interesting in this whole thing. Like also like when you um, got dis uh, segregated essentially for not taking the jab, which is you know, there's not really that many adequate synonyms for the word segregation. There's like separatism. None of them really hit the mark. But if you use that word, you got pillared as a racist or as very insensitive. Um, yeah. So it's just this attack on language as well. And of course, the nature of science is open ended debate. And it was ridiculous. Even a long time ago, before Rogan started speaking out about ivermectin, there was so much anecdotal evidence that ivermectin was healing tons of people. You could read comment threads on, you know, many platforms telling uh, people talking about how much success they had with that. And ivermectin has a safety protocol better than Tylenol. So even if it was just placebo in a pandemic, you should allow people to have it because as we all know, placebo effects are actually effective, uh, if, if you it know, works, but, it, yeah. but it, but it was more than a placebo effect. And the fact that that stuff was demonized, that you couldn't even mention ivermectin, these were the alarm bells that there's something nefarious going on. You know, like Brett Weinstein just did a thing on his channel, Dark Horse podcast, where it was like, ten, he said, he said, I forget who he was talking to, but he said, if you did the opposite of everything they told you to do, you would have done much better. And that that's pretty much apparent right now. That's like um, Sweden. And then he said, um, if they got one or two things wrong, you could you could chalk it up to they made a mistake. But if it's 10 out of 10, then there is there's a conspiracy there or a so-called conspiracy or an agenda. And it, that seems evident when they demonize things like ivermectin. Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s book, The Real Anthony Fauci, breaks that down in technicolor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's been on our show. We've talked about it with him at length. Amazing. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I understand. And I think, yeah. An agenda is probably a better word than a conspiracy because right. some conspiracy <laughs> theories really are lunacy. I mean, truly, like the one well, that everybody true. knows is the Q one where like the Democrats have some pedophile ring out of a pizza shop in D.C. Like people right. believe that that's crazy stuff that that's not happening. So, right. yeah, conspiracy I don't like, but agenda I, well, I like and I agree with. Yeah, I was using conspiracy. um, in the actual definition of the word, when two are like we could conspire to go bowling later, you know, when two people yeah. say, hey, let's go bowling. They're they're in a conspiracy to go bowling. So I was just, well, but you're right. That word is kind of thrown out it's of fraud. the English it's language. Yeah. But, but what you're saying 
is correct. And and it's it's linked to what happened to you and millions of other Americans. Yeah. And I do wonder, and we'll get to like the LA Times and all that, but you just do the blowback that you've had in speaking your mind against mask mandates, against the vax assertions that were being put out there that we now know were untrue. Um, and what we now know is that the pushback on on your pushback was orchestrated. It really oh, was yeah. coming down from on yeah. high from our covid gods who we now know, thanks to FOIA requests by media organizations and congressional testimony. And the Republicans in the House got their hands on some great documents that Collins and Fauci and Walensky and others at our you know, National Institutes of Health and so on really were working together to silence and ruin any dissenting voices. Yeah, they made examples out of us. It's funny because part of what my sort of idealistic viewpoint on speaking out was, hey, if I speak out, it'll inspire others to speak out. And to me, this stuff was clear because I was doing all kinds of research. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I had a flu shot relatively recently before COVID. So it wasn't like I had an automatic knee jerk. All vaccines are bad. Of course, they've done more to turn people into real vaccine skeptics over this as yes. as only makes sense. You know, a lot of people's viewpoints are changing as they should, because we're seeing things a lot more clearly. We're seeing uh, layers uh, come off of the ruse of, uh, you know, politics and big pharma and how much corruption there is. But yeah, they made an example out of me for sure. And I think I sort of, you know, maybe had the opposite of heck effect of instead of inspiring people, they they made sure to scare people off of speaking their mind because I was quite early on. This was before Rogan started speaking up and before Russell Brand started really going ham on it. Um, and so, I mean, I had a good career in music and art and but it, but it was a cult level, let's call it, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so to get a four page Sunday Times uh, feature in the L.A. Times art section uh, was a bit much. And yeah, they went after they started interviewing people in my life. They were really digging and they called me an extremist and, well, and stuff stand like by, that. Stand by. I'll, I'll, I'll tee that up in one sec because okay. I'm spending a little oh, okay. bit more time get, having the audience get to know you and your background before we get to the L.A. Times hit job. Oh, OK, OK, OK. Um, <laughs> so you um, where are you from originally? Ohio. That's why okay. I'm a revolutionary, because all the best revolutionaries come from Ohio. That's like kidding. my, my just... producer, Canadian Debbie. She used she's from Ohio. She was like lighting off pipe bombs when she was a kid. She loves <laughs> Exactly. We were bored. All we could do was <laughs> acid and listen to Led Zeppelin. Sorry, <laughs> Debbie, am I allowed to say you that? You never disclosed that to me. <laughs> so I get it. I get it. So you decide you get into music and what like what yeah. was your first instrument? Was it guitar? What was the thing that Bass. got you really into it? Bass, Bass guitar, nice. I slap and pop like flea, you know. And so I was a professional musician before I got out of high school. Uh I played five nights a week in Cleveland. Were you a loser Cleveland in high bars. school? Did was music your escape or were you like the hot guy popular, mm. like, you know? I was an outlier, similar to how I am in the world now. I feel like I don't know. <laughs> some would call me a loser. Some would call me the hot guy. I don't like maybe somewhere in between. I don't know. Like, okay. um, you know, I kind of found humor when I was a very young kid. I, I did first grade twice because the first time I was bullied really bad. I mean, I think uh-huh. some people just have that sort of spirit in them where they're they're going to buck the system you know, from very early on. And I think mm-hmm. I just have that in me. I guess you could call it the punk rock spirit. I don't know. I like but, that. Uh, 
Yeah, so I we played ba- I played bass five nights a week in this band called Frankie Star and Chill Factor. I was part of Chill Factor, and uh, we opened up for Stevie Ray Vaughan a couple times. I mean, we were a big blues band in Cleveland. It how'd was you get awesome. bit? Like, how? Because you know, there's so many bands trying to just get noticed a little. So, what was the moment where you're like, "Holy shit! Now we're gonna open Frankie, for Stevie Ray." Frankie Star uh, was a genius prodigy guitar player. Still is. Still probably playing the Cleveland scene and. Um, yeah, we just we had the clubs packed out. I was making fifty bucks a night, five nights a week in high school. I mean, wow. that's good. That's good money, especially yeah, for is. somebody with no expenses. Well, how old are you now? Fifty. Yeah, so you're about my age. Yeah, so that's like that's late eighties. Um, that's a lot of dough. Yeah. I can tell you, that's a lot more money than I was making teaching aerobics back at the time, which is how I was paying <laughs> my my young teenage bills, and far yeah. less cool than what you were doing. And and so then you aerobics start to collaborate. Is pretty cool. You know what? It keeps you in shape. That's why I'm going to say it's that. It's nice. Yeah. Another, like another it. life in it. Another body. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sadly. Now, wait, I was looking at the list of where did I put it of the guys who you have partnered with, like on your music. And it's it's crazy. Like, it's I- incredibly impressive. I mentioned Peter Gabriel. I noticed that you had a collaboration with uh, with my friends at Pearl Jam, who I just saw the other night. Thanks to the guys at Sirius. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was the bass the bass player, right? Yeah, Isn't Jeff. Isn't that who you worked with? Jeff yeah, Jeff. Amen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, Danny Harrison, George Harrison of the Beatles, uh, son. Ben Harper. Love Ben mm-hmm. Harper. Amazing. Love, uh, love all the love all these people, by the way. Still. Michael Stipe of REM. Right. Chris Martin love of Coldplay. Them. I like yeah. I could keep going. So your career. Well, Chris, just, I like, never played with off. Chris co- Chris covered one of my songs called In the Sun with Michael for a Katrina relief thing, but I never worked with Chris. But it, yeah, I've, I've worked with cool. lots of amazing people. I've been very blessed, very fortunate. And by the way, I don't have any animosity towards anyone that thinks differently than me. And I really wish people in general could disagree on issues that are important and yet still remain friends and civil. That That's the thing that I think is most important out of all this is that mm-hmm. it's okay to debate, it's okay to disagree, and you don't have to demonize people's character because Absolutely. they think differently and see things differently. This is a story of my life. I mean, I, I, I'm living this as you are. I, I All of my friends know my political views. I mean, I talk about it all the time for a living. Uh, and some of them, most of them are left or liberal. Some of yeah. them are far left. I got a couple friends who are way out there. And, you know, we just we don't talk about politics more together. I know what their views are because I see them on on social media. They know what my views are because I put them out there publicly. But we don't have to talk about politics. These people are absolutely lovely. And I yeah. know, most friendships are not based in politics. So why would right. you make politics the stakes of a beloved friend? Exactly. Or vaccine status or a supposed vaccine, because it's not really and we don't have to go there. But, you know, like (laughs) imagine before covid, if you cared about whether or not somebody got a flu shot based like, you know, you based your uh, continued friendship on, hey, did you get your flu shot? It's like no one even ever asked that question. (laughs) No one cared. You you were, as I understand it, you were of the left. You were more left leaning. Oh, yeah, for absolutely. I was. Yeah. Back then I was. And I don't really like those divides now. I I like Bill Maher's take a little bit. Like, I think he's like in this red pill journey that's really interesting. He did this cool interview with Aaron Rodgers, who's um, emerging as a real voice of reason, uh, which is awesome to have a quarterback become a voice of reason like this is (laughs) fun for society. Um, But yeah, I 
I relate to his journey with it. Um, I think I'm also waking up to the propaganda campaigns that are identical to the one for the COVID narrative. And to me, they all blur as one um, movement for subjugation and control. So Mm. I suppose that angles me a little more right leaning these days. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I never felt good with those those uh, distinctions are used as. divisive measures now. And I think that that's the opposite direction we need to go to as a society. It's also unclear. I see you as like a Jennifer Say, you know, the woman who was about to be CEO of Levi's. And she gently, she's living in San Francisco, for God's sake. And she gently pushed back on like the mask mandates being forced on her kids. And she was treated like she was calling for immediate death penalty for all sixth graders. I mean, the the reaction to this poor woman (laughs) was absolute madness. She was in, she's not in a creative industry exactly, but she was in a serious position of power in corporate America, another place where you cannot have free speech according to the gods, you know, Fauci and others when it comes to certain issues. So yeah, you, most of her friends were of the left. She was from San Francisco. You had built a fan base that I guess was more lefty. Total, total, total lefty fan base. Okay, total Uh, lefty. And I I say this with all due respect to them and I hope they come on back now, you hear? But, But unfortunately, because when it, descended on me it's like it was uh it was a nuclear bomb to what i had spent the last 25 years building for sure yeah so you it wasn't the the la times comes out with this four page uh piece on you in august of 2021 but you Mm -hmm. had been you know flirting with totally exposing your views i don't i feel like you had said a lot about you know challenging these authorities prior to that point is that correct yeah, no, that's why they that's why they sought me out, because I was already kind of going ham and I was getting told by a bunch of people to stop talking and and I just couldn't do it. I've heard other people talk about this. Uh, I already mentioned Brett Weinstein. I guess I'm a fan, apparently, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's great. He, I, I, yeah, he's great. And he had said he had no choice. And that was something with me as well. I I was very shy to speak my mind about anything um really heavily like when the lo- when the lockdowns first started i was making sort of abstract art videos against the masks and stuff but i kept it abstract and artsy so i was kind of like fence sitting a little bit i i went bold as soon as they said we're going to give this to children that's when i was like that's when whatever was in me that that demanded i speak up really demand I speak up. And that's when I said, there's no reason to give this to kids. This is experimental. Kids have a very, very low chance of anything um, horrific happening to them as a result of this, if any chance. Um, This doesn't make sense. This has no, this is not rational at all. This makes no sense. And I thought I would get some support with that because it was about the kids. And that's I wasn't ducking under the kids. It really was because I just love children uh, as we I think as most people do, um, you know, and they're innocent. They need to be protected. Um, and so I just felt a, a moral imperative at that moment that I You're couldn't so cycle anymore. You were so naive. You were just walking oh, into the, into oh my the lion's God. den. Like the lion's going to take care oh, of me. The lion will love Oh, yeah, me. I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was as naive as you can be. I, I blame that on Ohio as well. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you need to spend more time with Debbie. Um, <laughs> on Facebook, this is April 2020. And I feel you, Joseph. I got to say, I, I was in um, Montana with my family during that part of the pandemic when we were in doing, doing the real lockdown. Beautiful deal. place. Beautiful. Place awesome. World. And I remember yeah. uh, a guy came over because like our heater broke and he had to come fix the heater at our place out there. And he came in wearing a mask. And I, I'm like, you don't need that thing on your face. And he goes, oh, thank God. And we just had a laugh about, you know, the absurdity because people are like, oh, it was already turning into like your duty, your sign to the world. Mm -hmm. So you, according to what I'm reading, were already in the same place. The first couple of weeks of the pandemic, of course, we're all like, what's oh, yeah. happening? All right, we'll try it. We'll do our part. Oh, then yeah. you get to April already. It's like, oh, this is kind of stupid. I'm not I'm not wiping a grocery and I, I'm not wearing this stupid mask outside. And this is right. what you posted on Facebook, which uh -oh. is very bold. <laughs> it's bold for a musician with an entirely lefty fan base. Uh... OK, here's what you write. Who's in control here? Are we part of a social experiment? Always and forever. Don't listen to fear. What you create comes back to you. The rules are unclear, though. Or are they crystal? People hidden in masks throw their eyes like darts at the suspicion in the air. Demarcations separate us by six feet in grocery store lines. What's your inner voice saying? Ah, uh, yes, good stuff. Good stuff. So you're, you know, as they say, huh. just asking. That's not. Just asking. Listen, so that's did, not. Did you that, get blowback was... there or no? I don't I don't remember. I, w I might have already been terrified of comments at that. That reminds me of Naomi Wolf's book, though, uh, I've been, which I've been sort of semi obsessed with lately. The Bodies of Others. Excellent book on this uh, on what happened. Just she is a, an amazing mind. And she talks about the demarcations in it and how this new thing of infantilizing adults crept in. And that was kind of put in beneath all this was like demarcations that's what they do at nursery schools for children like uh, you, you can recommend adults stay a safe distance uh, you know the six feet thing obviously is just you're making that up uh conspiracy Which they've admitted yeah conspiracy theorists could go like oh six feet six feet deep you keep suggesting death you know i i realize that goes out there with my tinfoil <laughs> hat but you know, it's the the interesting part is the infant infantilizing thing that happened amongst all this and that that crept in that we're, we'll make the rules for you. We know better. You just do what you're told. All that suggestion was coming in and still comes in. It's it's kind of fascinating mm -hmm. and shut up about it. Shut up. You would yeah. not. Um, fast forwarding <laughs> to, to June, <laughs> June of 2021, you post on Facebook, a screenshot of Fauci's email to Sylvia Burwell in which he rips on masks. <laughs> like, of course, cause Fauci does. He knew that the masks didn't work writing in part. The tip, this is Fauci. The typical mask you buy in the drugstore is not really effective in keeping out the virus. Hello. And you post, I remember a year or so ago when mentioning this somewhat obvious fact, which many shunned scientists were reporting, would be enough to get you hated by the masses and labeled a conspiracy theorist. Here it is in black and white from the guy those same people were listening to. You've been lied to and you're still being lied to. This liar Fauci is someone many of you are still listening to. Stop doing that and stop doing that now. Let the anger come that should be coming out of you. Let it wake you up. Let it save your life and the lives of your children and your children's children. Fauci should go to prison, not just be fired. I'd bet that is where this is going. So that's probably what got you noticed by the L.A. Times. I'm going to get um. 
man, I don't remember being that bold. I'm kind of proud of my former self. You know, there was an amazing <laughs> media person who did an incredible takedown of Fauci recently, and everyone was talking about it. Who was it? Oh, yeah, Megyn Kelly. <laughs> Your takedown of Fauci a couple of weeks back, or was it a week or so ago? Who knows? Time's weird. But that was excellent. That was really uh, incredible. Yeah, I wonder if you got pushback on that or what the fallout from that was. Well, you know, a friend of mine um, actually recently observed to me, and I think she's right. She said, you know, MK, people are starting to cover you by just repeating your remarks. And she said, I see this as a sign that even the left wing press is starting to agree with some of what you're saying. Oh, yeah, definitely. So usually they, you know, they, they whatever I say, they have to disagree with it because they're envious or they hate me because I went to Fox or whatever, whatever their issues are, they can take it up with their therapist. Um, Okay. So then then some other posts that are equally bold and smart. There was the one in May, 2021 on Facebook. This is where you talked about the unfollow threat. And uh, you did what Gina Carano did, which is where you basically said, how do they get people to go along with all this? Well, it's kind of what the the Nazis did with the Jews, um, comparing them to vermin before rounding them up and taking them into camps. And this is this is how she got canceled. And of course, she rebounded, too. But you but you were getting bolder in sort of saying this bullshit, what's happening to us and these Mm. are controlling masters and we've got to push back. So then the LA Times meanders into your life. And what made you decide to sit with the LA Times instead of like, I don't know, the Daily Wire or the Wall Street Journal or somebody who might be a a little bit more fair? Okay, that's a really good question. And um, yeah, it's Okay, so at that point in my life, I I started losing a lot, you know, Um, management, booking agent, a band I had going on a record deal, I had a record mastered and ready to go. Uh, Incredible record Um, with an incredible band, all that went away. And on in the same like, period of time, maybe like a week later, the LA Times came and said they wanted to do something. And the publicist I was working with was excited about it. Um, And we were doing freedom stuff. Um, My good friend, Trevor Fitzgibbons, actually, he's he's a he's a great guy. Um, Used to used to work with WikiLeaks. I think he's working with them again. Um, And so I think in my head, I thought it could maybe help restore. (laughs) This is ridiculous. This is like where my my mental faculties apparently broke all the way down. But I think it was a reaction to fear. Honestly, if I had been listening to my earlier posts a little bit more about not following fear, I probably wouldn't have done it. But it was me following fear to try to restore um, the career I saw just kind of get ripped out from beneath my mm. feet. Honestly, that's that's the reason. And and um, I trusted the writer. I talked to him. He seems like a good guy. Um, and honestly, I don't, you know, who knows who, you know, a lot of this stuff gets put down in editing with what they do. So um, mm-hmm. the way they frame it, you know. Um, yeah, I do know. Yeah, that, you learn that's over time. A, you learn over time. You live and you learn. But that's a that's the million dollar question. And uh, that's that's what happened. So I get it. I'm, let me tell you, I get it. I I've had enough profiles done on me and so on over the years. I, I now trust almost no one. I Well, I, I had a hard time coming on this show, honestly, like the okay. post sort of traumatic stress of it, like just oh, a big yeah. media. 
I mean, I'm in media. I do a radio show for TNT Radio, which is an excellent alternative station um, that's, uh, you know, just sort of evolving and growing its wings. Um, um, amazing uh, colleagues there, Patrick Henningsen and uh, Brian Hesher, McLean, Adam Ruckus Clark, amongst others, Misty Winston, people who really speak truth to power. So I'm honored to be a member of that. So I'm used to being in the media, but where I can kind of control where it goes. But so when you called and you weren't alone, there was a, a lot of people reached out to me um, once this case went through. Uh, but this is the only media I've done for it so far. And it's just because I trusted that you wouldn't it wouldn't be a hatchet piece. But yeah, it's hard to trust after something like that happens, for sure. Very much. Well, thank you for trusting us with it. And I'm, I'm sure yeah. we'll live up to it. It's wrong what they did to you and not just the L.A. Times, you know, the the smearing of you as some sort of weird conspiracy theorist right. or dark, you know, the, in the Times piece, there's some quote friend talking about you like as a dark addict. I mean, they really tried to get you. And instead of being, you know, your path back, it was supposed to be, I think, the last nail in the coffin. It but was. as you know, you can only be canceled if you let them cancel you and you've refused. So wait, stand by. Yeah. That's a good that's a good point to squeeze in a quick break. And then we'll pick it up with what happened when you sat with the L.A. Times and how Joseph Arthur is fighting back. What a delightful man. I'm so I love the show today. I hope you're feeling the same. Stand by uh, for more with Joseph. If there is anyone who is in the sun, will you help me to understand? Because I've been caught in between. All I wish for and all I need Oh, maybe you're not even sure What it's for Any more than me May God's love be with you Always May God's love So beautiful. So beautiful. Thank you so much. That, that's the song In the Sun by our guest, Joseph Arthur. You're listening to The Megan Kelly Show. And what a radical you were even back then with lyrics like, may God's love be with you. I mean, that's like, that may be the most radical thing you've done. Absolutely. Yeah, I used to. Uh, I mean, I've gone into, um, I identify as a Christian now. At that point, I didn't. But I used to like saying uh bringing god into songs because of it of it being sort of a radical thing that could i i was aware of that with sad it, but true know? that's the song also that coldplay covered um after hurricane yeah. katrina you've had amazing right. successes so all of that winds up in the place we are now which is you sit down with the la times and they they write this article about you and the headline is as follows joseph arthur colon the path from acclaimed artist to anti-vaxxer. As if right. those two things are even mutually exclusive, as if anti-vaxxer is a dirty word in and of itself necessarily, but they clearly are using it to disparage. Um, and the problem that you say with this is it's actually untrue. <laughs> anti-vaxxer yeah. is not true. And in fact, you had had discussions with the reporter about that very thing. So tell us what happened. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, he asked me specifically if I was an anti-vaxxer. And at that point, it was already the worst thing you could be called in the world. Um, you know, it meant the most insane human being of all time that, you know, is beneath yeah. human consideration. So, of course, I answered, no, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, which I'm not. You know, I mean, anyone who's done a little bit of research on the covid injections and I try not to call them vaccines because they're really not. I mean, it, mm. again, it goes to language um, and redefining words. It's not a vaccine in the traditional sense. It's not like taking a little dead piece of the virus, a piece that can barely affect you, injecting it into you to, ex you know, excite your innate immune system to fight against it. That makes total sense. That's that's vaccines, you know, that that mm -hmm. I understand. I believe in that tech. Um, but this is something totally different. This is a, a medical technology. It's experimental. So I answered truthfully. I said, no, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I am um, very uh, concerned with this untested new technology that has no long term safety testing behind it and seems of. Uh, seems to be a part of some kind of strange agenda uh, where they're demonizing things that make no sense to demonize, um, where they've taken away people's rights in ways we've never seen before, where they've infantilized us to points that are absurd and where they've shut down the conversation. You know, it's alarming when when you can't talk about something. That's when it becomes mm -hmm. alarming. So, yeah, I just answered, no, I'm not anti-vaxxer, um, you know, and I texted the journalist right after the article came out and I said, dude, I, you asked me that directly. I answered directly that I'm not. And yet it's the headline that I am what's mm -hmm. up. And he, and he just responded, Hey, they do that in editing. I didn't do that. So, I mean, I even mm -hmm. have that text response from, which is kind of interesting. That won't know? save so, them. That, that won't save them. <laughs> well, exactly. It's like, he admits it, that it's like not true, you know? So yeah, and, I mean, and by the way, the editors didn't talk to you. So how do they know no, their, their source no. of the reporting is him? So right. it, they made it up. That's basically what he's saying. Oh, they made it up. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. One hundred percent. They made that up. So the, just to give the, the audience the, the flavor, um, they clearly and the thing is dripping with disdain. Um, oh, yeah. The Brooklyn based Arthur, 49, as you were living in Brooklyn at the time, believes that a coordinated effort is afoot. End times type of stuff, he calls it. How by pharmaceutical companies. Oh, my. Yeah. Like, well, and I'm could, waiting for this like, to end like, with like, what? What did he say? That the pharmaceutical companies, the medical industrial complex, and the government, I'm waiting for you to end it with, got together and created the COVID virus and unleashed it on us all to control us. That, uh, yeah, that's conspiratorial. That's not what you said. You said th that they, they, a coordinated effort by those folks, to silence those like him who are questioning the science. Yes, behind the vaccines. That's exactly what we know they actually have done. We've seen proof of that, but they spin it in a way that makes you sound like a loon. And they go Absolutely. on to say, Arthur's gone so far as to use the term segregation, which we touched on a minute ago, <laughs> which, while discussing which is, the blowback again, that go, he's Go received. look up, a, uh, you know, what's it called? Go look up a simile for segregation. Is it simile or no? What's the word I Synonym? used before? Synonym. A, a synonym sorry yeah. yeah a synonym go look up one there's not really an adequate one there's separatists i've looked it up because i got a lot of pushback 
over the time. It's like we have to be able to use words to describe things. You can't just take <laughs> language. I'm not saying it was worse than the segregation that happened amongst the right. races. Of course not. That's not it's not a value judgment like that. It's just describing something. If you segregate people, you're segregating them. It sometimes happens because of what's worse, race, obviously, uh, but it also happened recently amongst the vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers or the supposed, you know, using yeah. their wording. But but like, you know, like my last six months in New York, we relocated to Arizona, but my last six months in New York, I couldn't go to a coffee shop. I couldn't go to yoga studios. I couldn't go to restaurants. I couldn't go to anywhere. I had a, like art shows, which I couldn't even go into. I had paintings hanging in places I could not go. Because you didn't That's, have the vax. Right. So, I mean, what does what what's the word that describes that when you do that to a wide range of the population? There's there's only one word that really does it anyway, not to belabor that point. But it's yeah, just no, it's I, I get it. So then they go and they find yeah. somebody who chooses to remain unidentified. I, I anonymous for this piece. Anonymous sourcing like this is very controversial. So people know in modern day journalism, it's becoming more and more ubiquitous. And it didn't used to be done like this. You used to maybe you give somebody anonymity in a piece if they're leaking the Pentagon papers to you, if they're leaking something that's very obviously going to endanger them or get them fired if they release, not just because they want to smear somebody and don't want their name attached. That's what this person did to you. That's what the, the L.A. Times allowed this person to do to you in the following. Arthur's always been an extremist in his actions, notes one former member of Arthur's music team who declined to be identified to protect their friendship. <laughs> OK, uh, he's an addict, right? So he was either a full on addict or full on clean and very preachy. This is part of the extremes that he struggles with. Um, what did you make of that? Um, well, listen, it's, you know, there's truth to some of that stuff. Like I, I do have, I'm a sober person. I, I have dealt with addiction when I do get into exercise and fitness. I do get extreme about it. You know, like when I get into research about COVID and wild stuff, I get kind of way deep into that. That's how I became so educated on it. So, I mean, in a way, yeah, the way they're framing that is a big smear, but also, you know, that kind of quality in a person isn't always so bad when they guide it in the right way. Now, mm -hmm. they would say me talking about physical fitness and what I'm doing online is preachy. You could look at it that way. And maybe that's true. Or you could look at it like I'm trying to inspire other people to have a better life. That's the way I frame it in myself. It's all kind of a projection as to the person uh, from the person perceiving it, you know, that that's what we've learned in social media as well. If you think about it, this whole thing has been propagated by the fact that people a don't really have a lot of people don't have purpose in their life or they're struggling for purpose. We all are, you know, that's nothing horrible to say. And so in lieu of purpose, you can throw in all these divisive propaganda campaigns and people will jump into them. It's like if you have a God-sized hole, the darkness will flood in, you know. Um, but social media made people addicted to likes and addicted to um, approval. And, and me too. I mean, like there's no, uh, I'm, I'm no different. So what that's done though, is locked people into silence because they're so afraid of social shame. If you think about it, the root of all this is social shame. The fear of social shame is so extreme that people 
you know, that meme, the best meme of the year is I support the current thing, you know, and that's really kind of what social shame has done to people. It's neutered them. But the thing is, if you speak your mind, if you raise your voice, your soul expands that way. You evolve into a different being. You, your soul's evolution is um, dependent on you speaking your mind. If you don't speak mm -hmm. your mind, you annihilate yourself. So you're doing the job uh, of the people that want you silenced for them, you know? So mm -hmm. oh, to you that smear, like... you know, to that yeah, smear, ahead. I would just say guilty as charged. That's your perception of it. Um, I'm, you know, I'm proud to be sober. The only addictions I have now are caffeine and nicotine uh you know these these darn nicotine things i don't smoke but apparently <laughs> nicotine helps with covid anyway but that's it so <laughs> I, you know and i and i do work out a lot i went on a run today right before the megan kelly show barefoot nice. in the park go well, get go that's... ground yourself go on a run does that make me preachy to some it would to others they'd go doing a lot hey worse. that's a good uh, that's a good a idea let's go on a run you know so there you well, go well no i just <laughs> wanted to follow up and say to your point about like the the, the void, you know, that people are trying to fill by affiliating with these extreme views. I mean, I think their views are extreme, right? That you're you're some sort of terrorist if you have questions about the vax. If you're a, a vax questioner, you're you're a VQ. Um, you know how it's like LGBTQ now. I used to think Q was queer, but then uh, uh, somebody high up in the one of these, you know, glad I can't remember who it was, but was telling me it stands for questioning. I'm like questioning. Yeah. Questioning doesn't get a letter anyway. If you're a VQer. Um, they think you're extreme. I think they're extreme. Um, we had a guest on the show last week named uh, Nicholas Carderis who was saying we have a crisis of emptiness right now. That's yeah. what we have. Well, there you go. That's crisis it. Of emptiness. That's, how, that's how they've ushered this whole thing in. And that's why more and more people are like turning to God and stuff like that, because that's a direct reaction to the fact that evil is revealing itself, you know? And, and that's the other thing that you did a show the other day. Um, maybe it was a couple days ago. I, I tuned in and they were framing this whole thing as a spiritual war. And that kind of rhetoric is making its rounds on big media, um, mm -hmm. for formats now too. And that's mm -hmm. unusual. And that's true though. We're I, seeing, I think it was Roland Martin. We were talking about Roland Martin who went on MSNBC that's right. and was saying, it's and we're war. so we're seeing evil. The other so side's if we evil. See evil. Then what's the other side? The other side is true too. The other thing is everything I said a year or so ago or more. Um, it's kind of the mainstream narrative on all yes. this now. That's that's 100%. the funny thing. Nothing I said. That. It's just. But it's, let me jump in with this because like, we have a short okay. short time left, and I have to get okay, to what you did. So yeah. unlike most people including yours truly, when I see terrible shit written about me, but I'm a public figure who can, who can never be defamed. Um, you actually said, I'm going to do something about this. I've been defamed. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I understand that's, that is used as a slur, a smear. And you hired a good lawyer and you're suing them. So what do you yeah. hope to get out of your defamation case against the LA Times? Honestly, I hope to do what my original intention was, was to help uh, motivate other people to speak their mind. That's really what's important. I think if everyone spoke their mind and really said what was on their mind and hearts, that all this sort of agenda to control us and, and, and on and on it goes, would disappear in a heartbeat. We're already seeing that. We're already seeing it kind of fall away in the and the sort of nefarious implementations of control fall by the wayside. But more and more people just need to speak up. You know, there, there shouldn't be all this censorship. And so hopefully I'm 
it'll be a symbol of fighting back and ultimately how you will prevail if you raise your voice. This is the theme of the show today. Speak your mind. He's shown us his T-shirt. This is what Nigel Farage was saying, too. You know, fight. I agree. You have to. And if you really want to be inspired on what not fighting looks like, on what keeping your head down and your mouth shut looks like and feels like, you got to listen to Douglas Murray. The first time he ever came on the show, we got into it. It was I, the, the interview kept going and going. He's one of my very favorite commentators on Earth. And with the British accent, there's something extra to it, you know, like dying in your bed. Now I'm doing Braveheart, but this day, right? <laughs> Would you give all the days from this day to that? Okay, that's Braveheart, but it's sort of like that. Freedom! Um, <laughs> and that's his point. Like, great. You, you'll you have made it through life without anybody smacking you, without anybody criticizing you or saying the mean things. How's that going to feel? Like your soul is dead. Enjoy. Yeah. Well, can you imagine living through this whole thing and just keeping to yourself and keeping quiet while all this is going down, while everything that's going down in our world is happening? I mean, I feel free and liberated to really keep speaking my mind, and I do. So that to me is is the gift of doing it, even if you take the lumps, you know, but but what we have is an opportunity to reveal courage, you know, and these kind of opportunities don't happen but once in a lifetime. And there will be another side to this. There, this We will get to the other side of this and uh, this war will be over and you'll be living with what you did or did not do. And so you have to think about those things. So what was it bad? I mean, quickly, when the LA Times piece hit, did you lose even more of your fan base? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like I had gigs booked, um, which, you know, and I had already, you know, like I said, lost a band in this other thing that was about to be kind of a big deal. Um, But I still had my solo gigs, a couple of those booked and some clubs where normally they would roll out the the sort of proverbial red carpet for me to a degree canceled straight away everything. And then even when I got like a little independent record deal in Europe, I had people calling them and hassling them. I mean, they 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 want to gut you and make sure you, you know, don't get back up on your feet. You stay good. So what um, now here we are more than a year later. Are people starting to come back to you? Are people starting to find Joseph Arthur? And by the way, how can my people do that if they want to listen to more of your music and support you? Well, I appreciate it. Go to josepharthur.com. We have, we're releasing a song um, a week on Bandcamp. We've just started that campaign. So we're like four songs in. You can get Speak Your Mind merch at shopjosepharthur.com, which is our Shopify store. That's also linked at josepharthur.com. Sign up for our mailing list. Follow me on Twitter at Joseph Arthur, Instagram at Joseph underscore Arthur and TNT radio led by Mike Ryan, who's amazing broadcaster and just that whole team there. They've given me um, a format and I'm really grateful for them for, um, yeah, giving me a place to speak my mind. And that's a great station that people should be checking out as well. So you're going to find Megan Kelly. You're going to find a whole new constituency that has your back, that doesn't give an F about staying within the proper coloring lines. In fact, they enjoy people who press the limits and stand for free speech. You're going to you're going to see bit by bit um, and you're going to wind up so much better it. off. All the best to yeah. you. So happy to be supporting you and we'll continue Thank to follow you. the case as well. 
and keep doing your great work, Megan. It's amazing. I really appreciate the, the chat with you today. Likewise, Joseph. All the best to you. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. 